Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I am now part of the What Fresh Hell Industrial Complex. What Fresh Hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I need more of this in my life. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I'm working to make my body stretchier and bendier. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. It's okay, I'll just detach from outcomes. That's easier said than done. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What Fresh Hell. This is Amy. This is Margaret. And today we're talking about real self-care for moms as opposed to, Amy? The fake self-care. Fake self-care. But I mean, I do think that self-care is one of those like goony goo goo terms that's become a little bit like a way to sell you things on Instagram. You know what I mean? Like it's just become a little bit like, yep. these expensive shoes, self-care. And it's like, wait, I don't know if that's really self-care. No, that is really true. I think about this a lot, how that self-care, like taking care of yourself, we have used as a synonym now for looking good. Oh, terrible. Letting yourself go means looking bad and taking care of yourself means looking good. And so it's just another like source of feel bad for me. I guess I'm not practicing self-care if I don't put on my power lipstick to walk my daughter to school. And so then I resist it. I'm like, self-care is a crock, but no, it's not. It's depends on how you'd subscribe it. Right. We can take care of ourselves without being victimized by the beauty industrial complex. So like, I think, you know, without getting off on a huge tangent, like, you know, all beauty stuff is and they keep up with our changing terms. So it used to be like, look good for your husband. And now it's like, oh, that's not a thing anymore. But now it's like your self-care is spending a lot of money on your face. And it's like, let's get away from self-care as like diet and beauty industrial complex and talk about like what actually helps us feel better. Well, if skincare, like I love lotions and potions, and if they make you feel better, then I guess it is self-care. I want to start with deciding what self-care is, period. Let's lead this off. I'm really hoping you have some studies, Amy. I do. Hmm. Okay. Not surprised. Your self-care is doing research. My self-care is a little time with research. So you can actually go on something called Google Trends, and it's very interesting. And you can look for how often a word was searched for. (laughs) And it's a factor. You can see it's like growth. Like how often have people searched for podcasts? And I'm just going to say that when Amy says this is quote, really interesting, unquote, your mileage may vary, may not apply to everyone. (laughs) So for example, like a podcast in 2004, nobody was searching for that in 2000. Like it's hockey stick, how often people search for the word podcast, for example. Similarly, self-care as recently as like 2004 was not something that people were searching for. And in 2020, it's something that people are searching for all the time. Yeah, it's a buzzword. It's become a buzzword, right. And so the New York Times, Tim Herrera runs the New York Times Smarter Living section. And so he talked about this phenomenon, this Google Trends thing. And he posited that self-care 20 years ago meant mental health self-care. Or it meant like, you know, getting your yearly physical. That's what self-care meant. And that somewhere along the way, he says, it got, well, 
And then Anna Borges, he quotes her in this book. She wrote a book called The More or Less Definitive Guide to Self-Care. You know, more or less. She says that it turned into a whole face masks and bubble baths thing about a decade ago. So it started out being... Beauty industrial. Yeah. I accuse you of beauty industrial complex. Yes, exactly. So 20 years ago was about mental health. By 10 years ago, it was all about, you know, yeah, what kind of tingly bubble bath you're using. And she's arguing that now people are rebelling against that and saying, wait, it is about mental health. That has to come first. And that people have come back around, come full circle on what self-care means. Hmm. And I don't think, I mean, by people, like you don't hear... I don't hear the men in my life, at least the heterosexual men, talking very much about self-care. Do you? No, (laughs) never. My husband literally has never mentioned self-care to me. Right. Don't care what they look like on a Saturday morning. And I mean, my husband is very fit and he cares a lot about... Yeah, he's into fitness. He's very into fitness and diet. He's like Lizzo. He's working on his fitness. (laughs) He's feeling good as hell. Yeah. Longevity is totally a priority for him, but he would call it longevity. He wouldn't call it self-care. Yeah. My husband is like, I'm going to eat Reese's Puffs in bed and maybe go for a jog once a month. And that works for him. And then he's like, that is self-care. That's his self-care. Reese's Puffs is my self-care. And I think that's another thing too. Like my self-care is Google Trends and and yours is, I don't know what, not that. The Bachelor, you know. The Bachelor? I don't know. Maybe. And that's okay. Like self-care can mean what it means to you. And that's what matters. Maybe that's what I'm coming down on. Like, we don't have to decide what self-care means for you and me, because like most things, it's going to be like very opposite So maybe we sort of set up what it means for ourselves. Right. It's not that like watching reality TV and eating Reese's Puffs, bad lotions and potions, good. There is no definition of it. But I do think, and we'll talk it through because I'm not sure this is right. It's just coming to my head that like external is probably not as good in self-care as internal you know like i want my house to look like the william sonoma showroom is probably not as good self-care as like i feel better when i stretch in the morning so for you self-care is sort of aspirational like self-talk i'm saying that sometimes it can be and those are the self-cares that i should probably reject like I will feel better when my house gleams from every corner. I think I think sometimes that's self-care, but it's not really good self-care. Yeah, I mean, that's house care. That's the people around you care, which can't not be a thing. Well, or I will feel good when I fit into the bikini that I used to wear when I was 18. That's not good self-care, but I think a lot of self-care kind of accidentally throws you in that direction. You know what I'm saying? That like, Right. That's- self-care is about having young-looking skin, Totally absurd. That's not self-care. I was able to be about 10 pounds down from what I am now a couple of years ago, but it required such total self-abnegation and constant focus, right? Like it's kind of all I thought about and I was able to do it. But then as soon as I stopped thinking about it, I went back to like my body sort of natural weight. And yeah, I guess I would argue looking back on that a couple of years later, that's not really self-care. That was like a party trick. It's not even a little bit of self-care. And like we have an episode that I love called Let's Not Care What We Weigh. This is kind of like the internal cause of my life is like stopping women from thinking they have to lose weight. But even the fact that you're like, I was able to do that. Like it's so aspirational. Like you're a great weight now and your body is caring for itself by eating more. Right. Like I just think self-care as co-opted by like the people selling you industry is... It's so hard to break ourselves from it. And self-care and self-bettering are not the same. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Self-care is about self-acceptance, right? Not improvement, it seems to me. Yeah, and there may be things that better you that are self-care. But I do think that, like, a lot... We put this question on our Facebook group, which is facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. You should always be hanging out there with us if you like the podcast, which... You do. Always. You should always be there. You should always be there. You should quit your job. Your self-care from now on is just refreshing the What Fresh Hell Facebook page. That is your self-care. I am now part of the What Fresh Hell Industrial Complex. But I mean, I think that what we saw there is like, yes, for a lot of people, self-care means like making myself feel better. But self-care that is like I am trying to live up to a standard that is outside of myself is where I see the problems coming in. Is like bonkers cuckoo crazy, I believe you would call that. 
It is. And it's just like, I can't stand. I feel like I have so freed myself in my 40s from any idea of like, I need to look X. I need to weigh Y. Like, and I wish that through the podcast, I could give younger women (laughs) the gift of like, here's the thing, guys. If you see a picture of yourself where you look fat, let me give you a piece of advice. Look at that picture again in 10 years. You're not going to look fat in that picture (laughs) to you. Like, I just wish I could give you the microchip that is like, no one else is thinking your skin looks wrinkly. Mm -hmm. Everyone is thinking like, Amy looks really happy. Amy looks great. I love to see her smiling. Like, no one is like, I see fine lines around her neck. Hooray. Maybe 10 people are, but like, who cares about those people? Those people are lame. Like, I just think self-care is about taking care of like your mind palace and not making your skin look good for the two mean women at pickup who think you look old. Love it. I give you that. I wish I could give you that microchip, but like I ask you to try to take it because let me tell you guys, I'm 48 right now. I'm just like, I'm kind of flabby and kind of wrinkly and I'm pretty happy and my husband (laughs) thinks I'm cute. Like I'm good. I'm fine. (laughs) That is a cared for self. Yeah, I got self-care. And yet I have... I am a person who tends towards bad eating and slovenliness and slothiness. Like that is just my natural tendency. And my nephew for Christmas this year gave me a thing that I won't name because they're not a sponsor, but where I can go to different exercise classes. And it has been revelatory about like self-care and how I take care of myself because I love to exercise, but I'm not good at it. And I've tried out a bunch of classes and some of the classes have been like, work this muscle until it's shaking and you're almost crying in a room full of like size zero women in like tank tops. And those classes make me feel bad about myself. Oh, I love those kind of classes. (laughs) Of course you do, because like that's who you are. You're like a type A, you know, you're like, I like to be with my people, the type A people who do things a million times until they cry. But those kind of classes make me feel bad. And I have found a yoga class that is aimed towards older people people older than me, and I'm already kind of an older person. And it involves a lot of like lying around on bolsters and taking deep breaths and like stretching out your muscles. And I realized when I was going to this class in the beginning that I was like, this is not a real class. This is an old person's class. And now that I've been a couple of times, I'm like, I think I might go to this for the rest of my life. I love this class. I love stretching out. I love feeling good. I love doing something for myself. It's 90 minutes, which feels very indulgent to me. But like I'm getting exercise. I'm working to make my body stretchier and bendier. Am I like burning calories and getting six pack abs? A hundred percent not. But like, does it fit my self-care? It does. I love it. I take a yoga class every Monday morning. In fact, we pushed back our recording time a little bit so that I could accommodate this one class, this one teacher. I now have two classes, two teachers in my life that I felt like it was indulgent and silly to sort of plan my week around, you know, this class with Fred and this class with Kate. But I love them. Like these teachers make me laugh. They make me happy. They'll give me some little Zen wisdom while I'm lying in Shavasana pose at the end of yoga class. And yeah, I planning my week around getting to those as often as possible makes me a happier person. And that's all that's required, even if I don't you know, lose X pounds or wear X size jeans. It's worth it. I've talked about this a lot before that like I had this revelation when training for a marathon in my 20s that this book that I was reading was like, don't attach secondary expectations to the marathon. So don't run a marathon and be like, I'm going to run a marathon and then I'm going to fit back in my jeans. That like you can do this unbelievably like superhuman thing, which is running 26.2 miles and then feel disappointed if you attach secondary expectations. It's going to lower my cholesterol. I'm going to be happier, whatever. Your only goal is to run the marathon. And I think that that is something to think about in self-care that like I could ruin that yoga class by being like, but it's not helping me lose weight. Who cares? It feels amazing to go do. And like, if I want in my self-care to be like, I need to get my aerobic fitness up, I can add a, you know, cycling workout three times a week or whatever. But 
why ruin yoga by attaching secondary expectations about what it's really going to do for me? So as I said, we put this question on our Facebook page and I feel like I found some, I mean, I came to this revelation just now talking about it, but I should have listened to these people. Rhea says, walks on the beach by myself. I am lucky enough to live by the water, like to go roller skating on the path near my house while my husband hangs out with the kids in the afternoon. Love that, right? Like, who knows? We've talked about that. Yeah, like being outside, like no matter the weather. I walk through Central Park a lot now because I live in New York City. Every time I'm in Central Park, I stand there like, why am I not always in Central Park? But I never walk in there unless I'm on my way to the other side of town and just feel like walking because it's nice. I never go walk in the park to do it without a destination in mind. And that's crazy because it's so fulfilling and beautiful. Just taking a walk. Well, I have a funny story about that, which is that I have a friend who listens to the podcast and is a friend in town. And I was several podcasts ago. I don't remember what we were talking about. I was like, I have a friend and we go walking every Thursday, no matter the weather. And it makes me feel wonderful. And I saw her and she was like, hey, by the way, I heard you say that on the podcast and we haven't been out in three months. And I was like, oh, you're not wrong. And guess what we did yesterday? We went for a walk in the woods and it was really cold in New York and it was windy. And literally, I sat for five minutes, like about to text her to be like, I can't go. Something came up. (laughs) What does she know? And I forced myself not to send the text and we went out we had a beautiful time in the woods but I was like and it was cold obviously easier said than done guys because like yes I know that walking outside makes me feel better but my friend was absolutely right like I got busy it's been cold in New York and I just stopped doing it because I was like "Eh, I don't want to and so we love back to ones guys the other thing about self-care is like it's always waiting for you at your back to one It's always sitting there waiting for you. Like my outside walks, like I didn't fail. I just fell away from it. And like yesterday I went back and I was like, oh, this does feel good to be, even though it's cold, I got to, you know, we're moving and I'm unzipping my coat because I'm too warm and it feels great to like have the sun on my face and be outside walking. Oh, I need more of this in my life. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to go back to one in this. When we come back, I have another sort of what is self-care thing that breaks it down really successfully, I think. All right, we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so Deanna Zant put up an Instagram post that was actually more like a carousel, like a bunch of posts in a row about this. I'm going to put the link in the show notes for this episode, which you can find in your app, or you can go to whatfreshhealthpodcast.com in the show notes for this episode. Amy, does it mean I'm old that I don't know what the phrase Instagram carousel means? Come over to Instagram. It's so fun. You know, like you can swipe. Like there's like six or seven, I guess you'd call it a slideshow. Facebook calls it a carousel. There's many pictures in one post. Okay. 
All right. So she put together, she's a cartoonist, and she explains the difference between self-care and self-soothing. And I thought this was like, oh, I get it now, trying to understand what self-care is. So she says, self-soothing is an activity that provides distraction or comfort in difficult times. This is... You know, putting on a silly movie, having drinks with your friends. Eating Reese's Puffs in bed. Eating Reese's Puffs. While watching reality TV. Yeah. She didn't use that specific example, but you could certainly insert. I know a friend who does that. <laughs> All of these things, they're important. There's a place for them. There's a time for them. They're wonderful, but they don't stabilize you, she says, or create opportunities to move you forward. That doesn't mean you never do them. It just means... They're one kind of thing that she calls self-soothing. Taking a bath, whatever. That's self-soothing. Okay, I like that. Singing, you know, silly music. Self-care, Deanna Zant argues, is an activity that helps you find meaning or that supports your growth and your groundedness. So she puts under self-care, she puts yoga and massage actually under self-care, setting boundaries, Going to the doctor, like doing your doctor's appointments, getting your mammogram, your colonoscopy, all that stuff. Our listeners are smart because a lot of them talked about that as well. Yeah. Eating right macro, right? Not eating right to lose 10 pounds, eating right, like trying to get some vegetables in once in a while because you want to live to see your grandchildren, going to therapy, all of this stuff that's sort of investing in your life being one of growth and groundedness. That's self-care. And I liked that. I'm like, okay. It isn't that self-soothing is worthless. It's just that it's temporary and self-care, she argues, is moving towards something more long-term. And I would even break self-soothing a little bit into positive and negative, although because although I joke about like I do like to eat cereal in bed while watching reality TV, that is I recognize it in myself and I leave room for non-positive, I won't even say negative, but non-positive self-soothing. Sure. So like I leave room for like playing Candy Crush under a blanket for two hours. Like that is non-positive self-soothing, but I do find it soothing. And like another non-positive self-soothing I have is like scrolling Twitter in bed at night. Like Mm -hmm. I realize that like reading a book is better self-soothing than scrolling Twitter. But I have found that like I am not a person who responds well to like, what do you call it when you ban something entirely? I do a little bit better with like, okay, I'm engaging. I am knowledgeably engaging in some non-positive self-soothing. But after a while, if I start to feel like actually grossed out and poisoned by eating too much sugary cereal, I know that I'm like, oh, I'm doing this because I'm looking for self-soothing and I would be better off taking a hot bath. When I know my categories, I'm like, oh, I can trade sitting on the couch and like eating mozzarella sticks dipped in ranch dressing, which is very soothing for me. Can I trade that out for like 10 minutes of meditation? Yes, it's not the same. It's not as great, but... When I define it that way, it makes it easier for me. Brene Brown calls that kind of stuff numbing behaviors. And I think there's a difference between self-soothing and numbing. Like, you know, binge eating, drinking too much alcohol, you know, I don't know, codependent relationships, never putting your phone down. Those are numbing behaviors. They're behaviors that allow you to check out from reality as opposed to like staying present and calming down, like going for a walk with a friend, calling up an old friend, having lunch with an old friend, that's self-soothing. Like that's restorative in a way that avoiding eye contact and looking at your phone is numbing. I do think you have to check that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's interesting. But I think there can, I mean, it's a spectrum, right? Like I don't think there's probably ever room for like, I just need a little, you know, illicit drug use. Like there is an end of the numbing spectrum that I would avoid. But I would say the harmless ends of the numbing spectrum, I allow room for in my life. Yeah, I think that's why I like this Deanna Zant thing on Instagram, because she was careful to be like, sing along to Lizzo all you want. Like that's great. But there's another level And that's, you know, keeping that cardiologist appointment. Such a smart distinction that I've never, ever thought about before. I love that. All right. Let's turn to some of our listeners and talk about. And now we have a new language to talk about them because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, like self-soothing, self-care. Yeah. Nikki says going to bed on time. That's real self-care, right? I totally practice this. I couldn't stay up later if I tried. No. I went to a doctor and he was like, how many hours of sleep do you get a night? And I said eight. And he was like, no, but really, I'm like eight. And he said, what time do you go to bed? I'm like. 
10 15 like i absolutely i go to bed at a reasonable hour and get up pretty early because i'm a light sleeper and the sun is coming in the window and i keep it pretty tight and i will say to those of you who are listening whose heads are exploding because you have like little ones and you're not sleeping I really found the years, there are years of your life, especially I had three little kids. I had three kids each 18 months apart. I went five to six years of my life without enough sleep and it was horrible. Yeah, me too. Then when my kids got school age and they're sleeping through the night, like this gets a lot better. It comes back. And, you know, there's always like times where like there's a kid who's waking up and a kid who had a nightmare the other night. Like it's not perfect, but self-care that is getting eight to nine hours of sleep a night is not possible when you have little kids. And so like you may have to just work around that for a couple of years, but it comes back and, oh, I'm such a good sleeper now. Get, I mean, I'm not a great sleeper. I have a little insomnia and stuff, but I'm all about my sleep. Even in the worst days, I would be like, if I could get four hours as one REM cycle and I would try to hold myself, even in those toughest years of the teething baby, like get one four hour block. And if you can't get that, then nap. Like I used to take a lot of naps and napping is not indulgent. Hello, it's not indulgent when you're getting five, six hours of broken sleep a night. It's completely necessary. Grab it when you can. Yeah, I had years where I was like, God, I'm always napping. I probably haven't taken a nap in, I don't know, three years, I guess. I mean, I just don't nap anymore. But it's because I sleep enough at night. You take naps because you need them. Lori and Rebecca both say taking a day off, which I think is really interesting. Like, I think we as women, caretakers, people who work and have kids, people who stay home with our kids, the idea of like, I am too busy and everyone needs me. We had a situation a very long time ago. I think I've told the story, but I won't get into huge details. But when my husband and I were dating, I was like, I really like this guy, but he doesn't seem like he has any bandwidth in his life for a relationship and certainly not like a wife and kids. He was so busy at his job. And then we on an early date got involved in a very bad accident and he was in a, unconscious for and in the ICU for like nine days and then recovering for three months. And he worked at a small company and he would have said before then, like his job, like he literally could not take a day off because his job would collapse. And he had some reason to believe that. But like, guess what happened? His job survived. Like everybody survived. Everyone had to work a lot harder and it was difficult. And, you know, he got back to work as soon as he could. And he like, whatever, had a broken arm and he was like typing with the wrong hand. And he got back to work as quickly as he could. But like, watch the story that like you can never take a day off. I live in that story and I've been working on that like very yes. recently. I'm reading a book right now, which I recommend. I'll put this on the show page too. It's a book called How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny O'Dell. I do not need to read that book. Oh, but you might because it's like, but don't do Candy Crush either. Like do nothing, you know, like that to just stand and feel the feeling of the, you know, ground beneath your feet and just attend to that and don't fill every moment with one more thing you can get done is like a increasingly radical act in our society. This yoga class that I love, the teacher just went on a six day silent retreat and I know friends who've done them and I've always been interested in doing them because I'm like such a talker and I think I would be just really interested to try. I don't think I could start with six days, but like it would be terrifying, right? But I think it would be really interesting. I think one of the things I love about this yoga class is like, it's just 90 minutes of real quiet. Like it's not filled up with even like straining to do the motions. You're just kind of moving from pose to pose in this very calm way. And it it does force you into that space of like, what am I doing if I don't have, you know, a watch or a phone? Like I'm just here existing for 90 minutes. It's interesting. I'm trying to take this space in little ways because this book is blowing my mind a little bit. And I am not the kind of person who will take like I would never go to a movie in the middle of a day on a Tuesday or something. I am not that kind of person. If I have an appointment to meet somebody, that's different. I would never just do this stuff. But just taking that like, oh, I don't know, the five minutes waiting for my daughter's little play to start last night. I just sat there and I chatted with the person next to me and then and I had nothing to talk to somebody about in that moment. And you get that like phone feeling and I just sat there instead and took deep breaths and it feels really weird for a minute and then you just kind of burst through it into this sort of this feels nice and it's self-care to do nothing I'm a big fan of like the personal day like because I work obviously at home and I have kids and they're in school during the day and like every once in a while I'll say to my husband like I'm taking a personal day take myself out to lunch go to a movie like just really take the day 
to just relax. Love it. Yeah, I don't do this, but I will try this. Rebecca says she watches trashy TV, lets her kids go to after school care and has downtime on her own terms. Love that. Mm -hmm. This is where I struggle, though. Cassandra and Lori also say making medical appointments. This is I just was on vacation and I have a journal that I'm working on that's like kind of very intentional about like doing the things you don't want to do. It's the joke of like it took me 45 minutes to do the thing I've been putting off for three years. And one of the things I found was like, whatever, I saw a doctor three years ago who was like, you might need to take this medication. And then, of course, I was like, I let the prescription lapse. And I was like, am I supposed to still be taking this? And I was kind of embarrassed to call and be like, uh, three years ago, you said I was supposed to be doing this thing. And I don't know if I'm supposed to. And I haven't been. And the phone call took 45 minutes, you know, scheduling a mammogram, all those things that you're like, oh, it takes too long and I don't have time and I'm annoyed by it. Like just calling my doctor and being like, are you coordinating records with all these other doctors that I see? And do you all speak the same? No. Okay. Then you have to fill out this form. It's all really, really annoying. But like that is a good form of self-care, I feel like. I find like the calling the doctor's offices and dealing with the health insurance and being put on hold to be a source of stress. But it's investing longer term in something like maybe you call the doctor and then you go take a bubble bath because that was kind of stressful, but it is self-care. Yeah. And it's a different kind of self-care because it's not relaxing. It's stressful. Yeah. Speaking of my sister-in-law, Tess, commented, self-care for me recently has been letting go of outcomes I can't control. It means less self-induced stress and more sleep for me. And I will tell you that Tess is a small business owner, just started her own business, and it's incredibly stressful. She's doing so much stuff to get this business off the ground. And I think it's really interesting. She's also a mom of two really young kids. So she's got all this stuff going on. And I think this is a really interesting form of self-care. Parenting is letting go of outcomes I can't control, but it's a journey. Yeah. And I mean, I think I just saw this quote on Facebook and it was unattributed. So I don't know who it's from, but it's a little bit Instagram meme with the sunset in the background. But I was like, this really spoke to me. You are afraid of surrender because you don't want to lose control, but you never had control. All you had was anxiety. Oh, I think it's E. Pray Love Lady. Oh, that makes sense. What's her face? <laughs> Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert. Good. Because... I feel like that was just such an aha thing for me that this thing of like, have to hold it tight. No one else is holding it. I'm the person with my finger in the dam and like, I'm the person keeping it all together. And let me say And like finding places where you're like, hey, we've invested a lot of like personal income, time and, you know, blood, sweat and tears into this business and like I have to make sure it comes out okay. And if that means staying up until three o'clock worrying about it, like I'm doing my part, just watch the parts where you're not actually moving it forward. You're just worrying about it. You think that like I flew in a helicopter once and I was gripping the sides of my seat, the armrest, as if that alone was keeping us in the air, right? Like my concern about how we could possibly be airborne in this thing was the only thing keeping it in the air. Well, I always say I have to sit by the window because I have to watch the ground and keep the plane in the air with my eyes watching the ground. Like that's how I help, you know? Exactly. You can start to feel that your worry and anxiety is a positive force in the world when it's not but getting to the point like detaching from outcomes okay i'll just detach from outcomes that's easier said than done this is a process for sure much easier said than done all right more about that amy you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top toast with peanut butter it's also by the way one of my favorite power breakfasts. so we agree on that thing we were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter and i'm gonna tell you we used hero bread it adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar hero bread has remade the carby empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs zero gram sugar and fewer calories plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. 
Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. And now, practicing self-care before kids versus practicing self-care after kids from the What Fresh Hell podcast. Before kids, I'm going to luxuriate in a nice hot bubble bath and let all of my cares just soak away. After kids, I'm going to let the kids play age-inappropriate video games for 20 minutes and let myself shave at least one of my legs in the shower. Before kids... I'm going to take some time out to make a nice, healthy meal for myself and enjoy it sitting on the patio in communion with nature. After kids. I'm going to move this leftover mac and cheese to a plate instead of eating it straight out of the pan. Before kids. Spa day. Some hot stones should really relax my lower back. After kids. I'm going to allow myself four very deep breaths after letting the kids out of the drop-off line. Before kids. One facial serum for day, two facial serums for night. After kids. I'm just going to clean my face off with this nearby baby wipe. Before kids. I've bought this sunrise alarm clock to gently wake me without disrupting my sleep cycle. After kids. I've produced three humans who shriek at me for breakfast starting at 6.15 a.m. Before kids. I need to get to the beach and sit in the sand and soak up some sun. It's so restorative. After kids. The beach? Are you serious? We're not going to the beach. I'd have to be insane. This has been Practicing Self-Care Before Kids versus Practicing Self-Care After Kids from the What Fresh Hell podcast. Yes, detaching from outcomes, easier said than done, but worth trying. You know what I mean? Like being still easier said than done, but like worth giving it five minutes before your daughter's play to breathe instead of look at your phone. Yes. Worth. A lot of people talked about alone time, and I agree with this one. I mean, when my kids were little, I had a deal with my husband that was called Saturday morning sleeping, and every Saturday morning he got up no matter how early the kids got up, he got up and got them out of the house and took them out for like at this little place near our house and whatever it is. So no matter how bad the week was, I knew I was I could get like 10 hours of sleep on a Saturday night. You can hang on to that little raft, right? Because Friday night I would get in bed at 8 p.m. and just cuddle down like a little squirrel. And then I would put in earplugs. And just the fact I knew I wasn't responsible, I could sleep for like 10 hours because I knew that like the minute they peeped, he would get them up, get them out of the house and I could just relax for a couple of hours. Never did that. Sounds like a good idea, though. Saturday morning sleep and it was the best. But I find still like on the weekends, my husband has a bit of a habit of like after lunch on Saturdays, if we don't have other stuff going on after lunch on Saturdays is his time to take the kids somewhere. And like, it's just nice to know I have a little alone time because like otherwise I'm kind of responsible. So much less so when they were little because now my kids are out of the house a lot. But I think alone time is so important. I love it. I mean, alone time is important if it's important to you, right? Like Emily is saying she asks for a day off for her birthday and she says, I can use that day as I wish. Maybe get my nails done, maybe run errands. I like I read that like, get your nails done. Like, ugh, I hate getting my nails done. It's like I feel like I need to do it if I'm going to some 
nice party or something. But otherwise, I just sit there like, oh, there's so much else I could be doing. So it goes back to the idea that self-care is what it is for you. If Emily finds self-soothing and relaxation and getting her nails done, then do it. I would much rather get a massage or take a nap than go get my nails done. But if it works for you, then do it. Well, I think it's like the alone time is probably pretty common to most people. How you spend that time is going to be really different, right? Right. One form of self-care that I hadn't thought of that a lot of people talked about was doing something uncomfortable. Amy says going out of my comfort zone and doing something when I would rather be home. Sometimes that means a walk, going out with a friend, like pushing yourself. And Libby said, which I thought was really interesting, getting back to things that are meaningful for me and make me feel like I'm having an impact. Brea said expanding her career is part of her self-care that like for the first five years of motherhood, basically I just put in the hours and nothing else. As they got a little bit older, I was able to do more dinner meetings, conferences, serve on boards, like that allowing herself to lean in a little bit at work is for her self-care. Which is interesting. It's not what I would think of. I have a friend who is dealing with a sick parent right now, was dealing with a sick kid, now dealing with a sick parent, and is feeling some anxiety and, yes, guilt about trying to actually restart a career after, you know, a couple of years at home dealing with this stuff. Is that selfish? Like, not if you want to do it, right? If you, this is somebody who will get a lot of juice out of that. And like, it's oxygen that you'll bring into these other parts of your life. There will never be, there's always somebody else's needs who can come first. So taking that step of putting your own needs first, which for you might be having a meaningful career or having meaningful volunteer work or just something that has nothing to do with taking care of your kids. If that feeds you, then doing that is... Not selfish. Well, and it strikes me just as we're talking about it, that self-care is about identifying what yourself needs. You know what I mean? So like Mm -hmm. for like a really busy mom of toddlers, self-care might be like, I need quiet. I am constantly being like touched, pawed at and screamed at by children. I need quiet. That's what I need. So I need to like take a yoga class, take a bath, whatever it is for people maybe who've been in it for a couple of years. It's like I feel like I'm like a piece of fruit, like withering on the vine. Like I need to nourish my roots and I need to get back involved with like political activity that's interesting to me. I need to get involved in the PTA at my kid's school and use my like organizational skills to help them build the new playground. I need to get back to work. So like defining what you need is maybe step one of self-care. Some people need to say yes, right, to things that they might feel guilty about for self-care. And then a lot of us need to start saying no as a form of self-care. Oh, let's talk about setting boundaries as self-care because a lot of people had that as their issue or really putting themselves first. Justine says, treating my gym time as sacred for me and my mental and physical well-being. My workouts are in calendar, in pen. People, I'm not flexible about it. Wow. And then Emily said, which I thought was really interesting, I tell people at work that I have physical therapy. It's like you can't say to someone like I have to go to the gym. Like it's like what's wrong with you, you know? I've learned this when I was working on a novel, which is the most like thing you sort of fit into 10 minutes when you have time and that's not how you get a novel done, right? That you have to sort of calendar it and then tell people you have a meeting or you have a deadline even when your deadline is with yourself to get the chapter 8 draft done. You have to calendar it. Yeah, you have to take up space for that, which is really hard for us to do as moms when we have so many other demands on our time. But it's important. And I think it's just an interesting perspective on self-care, which is that other people are like, I remember my mom, so Irish Catholic, we went to get massages at some point. She never had a massage in her life. And she was like, right. It was nice. It seems a little self-indulgent, you know, like, like that I would lie around and let someone rub me. And she's not wrong. But I think defining stuff either for yourself or for the people in your life as like, I mean, I would say like I'm taking a personal day, but like I have physical therapy. Maybe physical therapy is going to get your fingernails done. Like whatever you need, like you can define it for other people in a way that makes sense to them. Because in the big picture, Nicole says, and I love this, putting your health and sanity first is so important. Babies cry, toddlers whine, preschoolers and young kids need a lot of attention, but you have to take care of you or you'll get depressed and wake up 10 years from now not knowing what the heck happened to you. Trust me, I've been there. And like, it's maybe a little doom and gloomy, but I do think the thing of like 
Michelle said, I'm a mother, not a martyr. And I think that a lot of us, and we've talked about this in a lot of different episodes, right? I do it. My story is I do everything for everyone. I sacrifice myself. Everyone comes first. My beloved kids, my spouse, I put everyone before me. I'm in charge of keeping the schedules. I do it all. I figure out what's for dinner. Oh, if it wasn't for me, they'd never have doctor's appointments. All true, by the way. Probably true. But if your story becomes like everyone before me, that path doesn't end that well. You're not taking care of yourself. And then you kind of become resentful of like your kids and you kind of become the like, you know, this sort of bad sitcom stereotype is the end of that road, which is like, oh, no one cares for mom. What do you say about the mom from the Sopranos? Yep. Oh, no one care. Take the ha- knife out of the ham and just kill me, I guess. You know, like you don't really want to go. And most of us are not heading quite that far down the road. But like the idea of like, oh, no one takes care of me. I take care of everyone else. I would just get out of that story. I have something I want to say about self-care because this blew my mind when I heard my daughter's health teacher say this. It was one of those moments like, really? I'd never thought of it that way. She said, you have to practice self-care habitually. You have to make it a practice that you take seriously because you can't just do double self-care when you need it more. It needs to be something that's there for you all the time that you can access. In other words, you can't like get fired and then start meditating three hours a day. You need to be meditating 10 minutes a day so that when you get fired, it's there to buoy you up or your circle of friends when your kid, you know, gets suspended or whatever it is. The self-care needs to be, it's a program that's running in the background all the time and you need to make sure that it is and invest in that. I'd never thought about that. I think it's really smart. Yeah, you can't just get two massages when you have a bad week. You have to think about it all the time. My friend always says sleep is in a bank. You can't just go and get with like sleep is a constant. You need eight hours of sleep all the time. You can't like get 12 and then get two. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. And self-care is kind of the same way. It's not a bank. You can't go and be like, I need a huge withdrawal. Like it doesn't work that way. It's got to be a little bit every day. And yeah, I think for so many people, so self-care for a lot of people look like coffee, quiet, baking, having a glass of wine, a lot of baths. I have to say, I have to share my self-care sadness with you, Amy. We moved to a house that does not have a bathtub. It has bathtubs, but they're like horrible little baby. Basically, like my butt fits in it. It's like not a bathtub. It doesn't cover you with water. It's like you can only get. Would you, I have a bathtub and I use it like three times a year. Would you be using your bathtub more if you had it? I baths are my being in hot water is like my husband's always like you're like a crab, like put you in hot water. <laughs> being in hot water is the thing that makes me feel better. So Mm. my dad lives down in Florida and his place has a hot tub. And like, I'm so happy when I think about it. You're just in it for a week. Yeah. Being in it. It's the best thing. My husband is the opposite. He'll come and sit with me. He just puts his feet in. Like he can't stand being in hot water. But when my kids were little, I took a bath every single night. It was like the half hour of my day that was like, it's going to be okay. Wow. I love a warm bath. Ultimate self-care. I want to read something that Amy, not me, a listener Amy said, because we thought it was a good sort of summation of all the stuff we've been talking about. She says, self-care to me is not putting off that pap or boob smush, mammogram, saying no to things I hate, like bake sales, buying the good shampoo. That's a good one because I like smelling my hair all day. I'm like that, Amy, I have a lip balm that I love and it's like a little expensive and I use it all day, every day and I love it. I don't care. She says she goes months without shaving below the waist because I'm the boss of me. Cutting out the toxic people, no matter how they're related to me or how many years I've invested and being brave enough to fold in people who make my eyes smile, lying on the driveway, looking at the stars through the clouds. Oh, you're a cool chick, Amy. That's pretty good. Amy, I know Amy in real life. She does a lot of this stuff and uh, has had a tough road in the last couple of years. And like, so you should really take it from Amy because she's really onto something here. And I think that, yeah, like taking time for you and taking time for actual you, not imaginary you, you know, and not thinner you, right? Not aspirational you. Not thinner you, not prettier you, not you with less lines on your face, you know, that kind of stuff, like leaving that behind is part of self-care, taking time for real you, like what are the things that you need? And I mean, this is like something we're very yoga, I guess we're very Zen or Buddhist today, but like thinking about going to 
a yoga class is like, what is internal to you that needs to be fed or cared for? And not the story of like, I got to do everything because if I stop moving for one second, everything falls apart around me. Like, try to stop spinning the plates for a minute and just see what happens. I have a feeling they all crash around you. I have a feeling. I mean, I think of this all the time with my husband who, you know, is a middle aged man who has a wife and a mother. And like every once in a while when we're his mom's over and we're both like and do this and do this. I'm like, yeah, somehow this guy is alive <laughs> and survived by himself without our helpful suggestions until 47 years old, you know. And I think sometimes just letting go of like I run the ship and realizing that your sense of control is really just a feeding of anxiety. That's the kind of self-care that I'm going to try to get into. We solved it. Solved it, guys. We're all cared for. (laughs) I'm so 100% cared for. Yep. I'm going to make a practice to call old friends, like make it a habit practice, something I'm going to do because that is really worth investing in long term for me and it would make me happy. So I'm going to quit thinking about it and just start doing it. And like my walks outside, it is something you've said like four times on the podcast that you're like, I'm going to commit to this. Oh, you're right. I have. Back to one. It's your back to one. I'm calling Heather on Sunday. It's just something (laughs) you need to get back to. Not a failure. Just something you're going to get back to. All right, guys, we want to know how self-care is going for you. Come to our Facebook page. Well, we already know your self-care is refreshing that a million times a day. Facebook.com forward slash What Fresh Hell cast. And please join our What Fresh Hell podcast group because it's just such a fun place. It's a hot tub. It's the hot water of Facebook. Yes, it is indeed. Is that a good metaphor? Yes. We're also on Instagram at What Fresh Hellcast. We're on Twitter at WFH Podcast. And I'm going to put up the links to Deanna Zant's beautiful Instagram post on self-soothing versus self-care and the book How to Do Nothing. All that stuff is going to be up on our show page at whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Guys, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. So long. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.